Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. We wanted to take a moment to thank you for your continued support over the years. It's hard to believe that we've been having weekly in-depth discussions about movies since 2011. That's right, 12 years and counting. Producing this show is a labor of love for us, but it does require a lot of time and effort each week. If you enjoy our podcast and would love to help keep it going, there are some easy ways you can show your support. One is by using our Originals page to shop for the original source material that movies we've discussed were based on. That's right. In season one alone, we covered 13 films adapted from books or plays, from Charlie Kaufman's adaptation to David Fincher adaptations like Fight Club. In season two, we covered even more, like Powell and Pressburger's The Red Shoes and The African Queen from our series about legendary cinematographer Jack Cardiff. We can't forget about the four Jason Bourne movies we talked about. Love those movies. Well, the original trilogy, at least. <laughs> for our Richard D. Zanuck series, we did Jaws, Rush, Big Fish, and more. And for our horror series, we talked about John Carpenter's The Thing, which was adapted from Who Goes There? We did our first great car chase series with movies like Bullet, The French Connection, and Drive. And for the holidays, we did Preston Sturgis's Christmas in July. We had a great John Huston series with adaptations like The Maltese Falcon and The Treasure of the Sierra Madre. And for our baseball series, Moneyball with Brad Pitt. Have I told you lately how much I love that movie? Uh, yeah, I think you have. Plus, our Magician series and Heist film series had adaptations as well. Tons of page-to-screen gems. Listeners can find the details and links to the original material at thenextreel.com slash originals. Every book, play, or movie you buy through our links helps support the show, and it's no extra cost to you. So dive in and get your next read today. Thenextreel.com slash originals has all the films adapted from other sources that not only we have covered, but all of the shows on the Next Real family of podcasts. Check it out and get reading. Support the show and build your reading list. It's a win-win. Head to thenextreel.com slash originals. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. 
in just a matter of seconds, you're going to hear a classic episode of this show from back in the day when we called ourselves Movies We Like. It took us a while to settle into the show's format, so you'll notice some differences as you listen to these episodes. For instance, it takes us a bit of time to actually get into the conversation about the movie. Things like that. But we're still proud of the conversations about the movies themselves, and we think they're worth keeping in the library. So enjoy these episodes from our back catalog. And you can become part of our Discord community, learn more about the show, and find out how you can become a supporting member at thenextreel.com. So thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to The Next Reel. We appreciate your time and attention, and we hope you enjoy the show. But you're gone now. I was listening to you type. Oh. <laughs> I, I, you're, I can't even talk. <laughs> it's like I'm trying to type, and uh, I'm just not. I'm not. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. Hi. Hi, Andy. <laughs> How are you? Welcome to the next reel. Why, thank you. I made it. It's good to have you here. Uh, it's good to be had. So, how's Skype? Skype is good now. Yeah? Yeah. You know, every now and then. I don't know if it's like a, an update or something, but I have to like redo settings and things like that. I, yeah, but it's all good now. It sounds really, it sounds really hard. <sighs> You're having a hard time. Do you, um... do you, should we talk about movies this week? I have some thoughts. I have uh, too. All right. So first of all, uh, thanks everybody for joining us and listening to this uh, nonsense that we we do each week. Uh, head over to thenextreel dot com to uh, subscribe to the show, listen to the show, to jump over to iTunes and subscribe for free. That's uh, that's where you go to get the thing and leave your kind reviews, which you are so kind to do. And um, uh, you can also head over to facebook dot com slash thenextreel. That's where the discussion is. And man, did Sarmento find an awesome thing this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you watched it yet, this Jaws thing? Uh, no, just a few minutes of it, but uh, I've had a few things going on. haven't had a chance to really delve into yeah, yeah, yeah. the Life, depth. Life's hard, life's hard. You're busy. You're a bu- busy filmmaker. Busy industry <laughs> industry blah, wonk. Blah, blah. Wah, wah, wah. No, the... Uh, <laughs> This is uh, uh, this is the uh, Inside Jaws filmumentary by uh, uh, what's his name. Uh, in any case, uh, Jamie Benning, and uh, it, this is fantastic. Um, he's a busy he's a busy uh, documentarian, free time documentarian. Yeah, right. <laughs> the stuff he does in his free time blows me away. Did you watch the uh, the other one, the last one? What was he's it? Uh, Raiding the Lost Raiding. Ark. Raiding, yeah, Raiding the Lost Ark. I did watch that one. It was really fantastic. It was just fantastic. He's also done all this, like the, the original Star Wars trilogy, I believe. Uh, so he's just busy. Busy, busy, busy. Uh, big fan of uh, Jamie Benning, and, and uh, I actually haven't watched it either. Um, you know, I have things going on. And, busy, busy, uh, blah, 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 blah. Photography, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, but everybody should go check that out on, on Facebook. There's that plus a lot of also awesome things, uh, including our uh, running vote, right, of uh, what right. movies we should be talking about. So you should check that out. Always, we're definitely interested in what heist films you guys out there are interested in. We've had 
some of them uh the uh oceans 11 has come up uh the bank job snatch i now i was gonna i was gonna push for oceans 11 it's one of my very favorites but i thought you were gonna like veto that one i don't you don't you hate that movie i don't hate it i enjoy it it's it's very popcorn and i enjoy it in that sense all right it's not a movie that i love but it's definitely a fun easy movie to enjoy yeah all right. And then there's this one, and I, I need to look into it. Uh, a Morgan Freeman movie where he's stealing a painting, and I don't know what that is. Do you? A Morgan Freeman movie not co-starring Michael Caine? <laughs> Apparently what? there's one. <laughs> uh, yeah, we need to check that out. I haven't seen it. Uh, okay. We need to talk about the other uh, big release, the highly controversial release this week. Uh, that we we talked a little bit about last week, uh, Man of Steel. You've seen it. I've seen it. Uh, we've all seen it here. I guess it is. Is it controversial? Yeah, because mostly because I disagree with you. <laughs> <laughs> so over here, here in this corner, <laughs> there is real. controversy. It There's is great quite controversy. controversial. It's I. <laughs> You the problem is, Annie, you know how this works. I uh I saw it and liked it, and then you didn't care about it. Like you didn't give it any thought really at all, uh, apart from saying meh. And that made me love it even more. <laughs> like it was a passionate uh love response That's to the right. movie. And so I, I don't even know how I feel about it anymore. I just know that I feel better about it than you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I actually quite liked it. I, I felt like there were two things that were uh, that were missing, and uh, one of them, you know, we we've had this sort of back channel conversation with Chad. I think Chad uh, Chad Stoops, our our friend and compatriot on the uh, film board, along with uh, Steve Sarmento, we've been going round and round on this whole thing, and and I I think what has come out of it for me is that there is a section of Superman movies where he gets to develop a heart. And you see him saving, you know, just general saving of things and and right. that's not tied up in the chaos of the overall kind of story arc. And, and there, right. there's kittens in trees. Yeah. yeah I need flowers some that are about trees. to be trod upon. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. He stops a four year old from tripping. Yeah, uh, like right. there are just some things in there that I just uh, I, I feel like that that's where we build up a little of that community trust that they try to play off of rather than the, the leap of faith. A whole leap of faith, um, you know, <laughs> sort of uh, weak uh, for me. Yeah. Uh, but I highly enjoyed the action, the effects. I loved the uh, the three hundred s hyper realism. Uh, I didn't care about the fact that you know that uh, clearly there was a Zod will die or Superman will die. Um, that's the only way this could end. Unless you're one of the 13 million people who were likely killed in the destruction of this major metropolis. Yeah, it's... Uh, yeah. yeah, It was uh, huge, huge. And, and that one poor boater in the Indian Ocean right. <laughs> happens to be on the exact opposite <laughs> side of the globe. Right, right. <laughs> well, you know who you, you know who you want to be working on this movie? Whoever was in charge of, like, you know, particle effects. Because yeah. there is so much dust and just crap floating in the air on this yeah. in this movie of just destruction that that I I was um I was surprised that there is a movie with more physical plant destruction than Iron Man 3 in one season like that <laughs> I I think they've they've one upped 
what already was an, an enormously destructive film. And uh, I, I had a great time. And, and you know what I should say? I even enjoyed Kevin 2 by 4 Costner in this movie, and, and not just because he was sucked up by a tornado. Spoilers. Oh, man. Jeez. Yeah, you know, yeah. Here's here's my thing about Superman, and this is this is very. We're still talking about the tornado spoiler here, but it's like I know there's like a point of of why that whole thing happens, but it's like you know, this guy is Superman. I'm sorry, he can move faster than a speeding bullet. He could sneak out the back of this little turnpike that everyone's hiding under, run where so fast that no one can see him, grab his dad, and run back, and no one would be any the wiser because he's Superman. That's all I have to say. As if that's the end of the argument. <laughs> it is. And moving on. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's absolutely worth seeing. Don't bother seeing it in 3D or IMAX. It's uh, not uh, not required. I did want to hear, and I, I didn't hear from Sarmento what he thought about hearing it in Dolby Atmos. I'm Ooh, curious. he saw it in Atmos. Uh, yeah, I'm very curious how uh, how that new system is working. I'm well, wondering know, if it really does lend more to a film or not. You know, here's a thing. Here's a little promo. This coming weekend, Saturday, we're doing a film board gathering. We're going to be talking about World War Z. And um, so you should listen to that show because we'll make a note to talk about it. What do you think? Get a report, an Atmos report? Yeah, I'm curious uh, if World War Z does end up playing in Atmos, maybe I'll try to catch it. But uh, regardless, we can at least find out what he thought about it. Yeah, absolutely. OK, good. All right. So let's talk trailers. All righty. You we, first. Did we actually figure out what trailer we're going to do? I, I think so. You know what you are. You're going to do. I right? do. Is this, a, I, this I is the thing a, like you're I waiting to very... order? You don't. You, this is have the lemon <laughs> chicken. Um. Uh, okay, so there is this film called uh, Blood, and it's a British film from uh, BBC Films, directed by Nick Murphy, written by Bill Gallagher, starring Paul Bettany, Mark Strong, Brian Cox, and uh, it's a you know it's a thriller. It's a it's a it's a weird murder mystery because it's not much of a mystery in that um, we actually are. Uh, we're actually told who done it in the trailer, uh, right. which is what I really like about this movie. So, you know, these guys are cops and they discover that there's a dead body and then they have a suspect. They really need a suspect. They're very, very passionate about a suspect. And halfway through the trailer, they find the suspect. And in a very intense trailer sequence, they pretend to bury the guy, the suspect alive to to coerce a confession they get the confession, and then they kill the suspect. So yeah. no spoilers. That's the trailer. The rest of the film it appears to be um, uh, the story of the cops uh, and the uh, growing intensity of, of trying to stay out of trouble, knowing that they just uh, assassinated the suspect. Right. And uh, what I like so much about it, what I find so interesting about the um, the you know potentially about the story what i'm what i'm most excited to see is this idea of them you know taking this very intense thriller and focusing on uh a, you know a different section of the story than what we what we're used to getting i i like it when they zero in or sort of expand these these other 
um, you know, other pieces of the timeline that I think are are interesting to look at. And particularly Paul Bettany. I've been a fan of Paul Bettany for a long time and Mark Strong. Um, uh, you know, I think they are. Uh, it's great to to see them. Um, you know, Paul Bettany. Speaking of Iron Man, he's the voice of Jarvis, the computer. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Anyway, no, I and, and, uh, and Mark Strong is the long lost twin of Andy Garcia. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> I'm uh, waiting for somebody to cast the two of them together. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Uh, so I'm look, very much looking forward to this movie. It comes out. Um, when does it come out? It comes out. It's already. Let's see. It was March. Or May thirty first in the UK. I don't know. It doesn't it don't appear to have. Um, oh, August nineteenth. It looks like it'll be on iTunes and in theaters at the same time. Day yeah. and date. I'm Fantastic. loving that. Fantastic. Uh, and so we'll be able to see that one. It looks really good. Yeah. Blood. I'm changing my trailer again. <laughs> oh man, what are you doing? I'm going to do Redemption. I've gone back and forth, and here's the reason I've decided I'm going to do Redemption. Because uh, it is opening June 28th. So very, very soon. Very, very soon. And it's going to be, you, it'll be available streaming the same day. So that kind of excites me. I think that's, you know, it's a, day speaking of uh, the whole thing we talked about last, uh, last week with Lucas and Spielberg yeah. and the whole change of the system and everything. I think that's definitely something that we're going to be seeing a lot more of. So that, uh, that excites me a little bit. And, uh, the other thing that excites me quite a bit, this is Jason Statham's new movie. And, you know, having just spoken about Jason Statham last week um, in The Bank Job, this is his story where he's um, a homeless former ex-Special Forces soldier uh, who is just kind of a little mentally damaged, homeless, living in London now, ends up working in London's criminal underworld, uh, assuming someone else's identity and becomes kind of this avenging angel. Looks like it deals with, uh, you know... Um, the importing of illegal immigrants and all sorts of interesting things. I quite like the look of it. And what excites me the most about this film is that Stephen Knight is uh, writing and directing it. And Stephen Knight is uh, known for, uh, he hasn't directed a whole lot of titles. I think this is um, in fact, his first feature film, but he's written a couple, I think of my favorite European films in the last decade or so, Eastern Promises and Dirty Pretty Things. I thought both of those films were fantastic, and I like how he tackles uh, issues of immigration and the complexities of these systems that we have of people trying to get better lives and, and the struggle of that when you have to do it illegally and the awful things that people have to do because of the situations they've been put into. This film, Redemption... Uh, it definitely has a little of, bit of a Jason Statham vibe, but at the same time, it also feels like he's kind of going a bank job direction a little bit. It's stepping out of kind of the normal crank, crank two type of world. This film really looks like it's going to fit the vibe of kind of that Eastern Promises and Dirty Pretty Things bit a little more. So it, it excites me quite a bit. It's it's those two with a lot more punching. With a lot more punching. Right? There's a lot of punching. Well, I mean, even the trailer. I know it's it is. It's got some Statham. It's Statham. It's a Stathamy, dirty, pretty things. Yeah, and you know, I've also gone Statham with my new hairdo. So that's right. You're that's a full Statham. I really had to do this trailer. It was it was calling to me. (laughs) (laughs) 
I'm glad, you know, I'm glad you did it. And I'm also glad that we have, uh, we've got some runway to talk about some other trailers that are also, it's, it was a good trailer week and I, I, yeah. I wish we could embrace them all. I wish so too. Our arms can only hold so many. <sighs> if only we don't want for love. Uh, shall we? So we're we're continuing our heist series uh, this week. We've uh, last week we did, uh, um, you know, we did the bank job, mm-hmm. and uh, this week we're we're doing. Uh, I is this controversial? Is this film a controversial film? You know, it's it's not controversial in the sense that people are like up in arms about things that were said in the film right and, you know left and right against each other butting heads that sense of controversy but it definitely is controversial in the sense of uh, opinions of the film i this is you know we're talking ben affleck's uh direct second directorial uh effort the town um, which he had done, you know, right a few years before this, he had done Gone Baby Gone, which also is kind of a Boston uh, crime sort of story. This one he stars in too. And just looking at some of the reviews, I, I mean, I found it really funny how varied they were. This is uh, from by Kevin Hartnett, posted on his uh, his website, themillions.com. A stew of laziness. Ben Affleck's The Town and the Elements of Bad Drama, in which he lists all the points that make this film bad. Plot arrhythmias, overreaching, narrative dead ends, unoriginality, a romance even the filmmakers didn't believe in. And then there's uh, Zan Brooks from The Guardian, who says, uh, leaves no cliche untrampled. And then you go to the the plus side, and you have some really glowing reviews, including some A-plus reviews, that are just are are praising uh, Affleck's skill and his self confidence as a director. Director, um, let's see, it's lean, brutal, and efficient. I mean, people really talk about how positive it is. And and here, Jim Hull has this website, NarrativeFirst.com. He says, finally, a film besides Inception worth seeing this year. So. I think that might be where, if you're calling it controversy, that's where it lies, is because this really did kind of come become like this love it or hate it sort of movie. It's uh, it's the Affleck. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? It's the Affleck. It's it it's it's got a a case of Affleck, and I think people aren't sure what to make of this guy. Even now, I think they are not sure what to make of it. After Gone Baby Gone, which I thought was a, a I enjoyed that movie. Uh, yeah, I d- absolutely enjoyed The Town. Uh, I, um, I, you know, I, we, Argo, um, the, uh, he's just, I, I think he's got uh, some real talent. And yet I feel like coming out and saying uh, that you are coming out as pro Affleck uh is uh makes you something it's a, something of a stigma. I think there are people who really feel that way. It's like a religious thing. Yeah, maybe. Maybe I I guess maybe I'm afflicted. I'm afflicted. Affle- you're afflicted. Uh, I'm afflicted. I really enjoy every film that he's made. I think that he is a very humble guy. He's very self-deprecating. He is completely honest of his position and all of his fumblings that he's made, particularly as an actor, he completely acknowledges 
every stumble that he's taken and has taken it all with a grain of salt and it's very much of the mind look i yeah i you know i screwed up a lot of times and i'm still learning i i hope that this is something that people like i tried doing it you know as best i could and, and you know there's definitely still problems in it listening to him talk about this film he completely acknowledges issues that he had with it that he still has with it He's not uh, easy on himself, but it's it's in that very kind of self-deprecating way. He's a very humble guy. I really like him, and I like the stuff that he's making. I think he's a smart filmmaker. I think he knows how to tell uh, a, a just a, a solid tale. I I think so too. I, I and I think this movie. I you know I found myself thinking as we watch as I was watching this film uh, that. It, it, there is there's no shortage of formula. We should take a step back. Uh, the The film is uh, based on Prince of Thieves, uh, a novel written by uh, let's see Chuck Hogan, mm-hmm. and uh, the novel is uh, roughly centers around a a uh, you know it centers around I I the way I understand it, they adapted the novel as a function of. Um, you know, as a, a a story of one of the stories that was told in um, uh, you know in this uh, in the book, the original book of uh, Prince of Thieves, and so um, it's it tells a story of this town, uh, Charlestown. Uh, where they say there are 300, um, you know, bank robberies a year. All the bank robberies happen in Charlestown, and bank robbery, bank robbery, bank robbery. It's a profession, like, you know, doctor, lawyer, bank robber, and so that's the that's the setup we get about this area that you feel like you're walking into the Thunderdome, uh, mm-hmm. with the way they set it up. It's it seems pretty pretty grim, um, yeah, and they're you know, just grim. Uh, and so we we meet this crew. Uh, they are robbing a bank, and from there on, you know what I what I like about this film is that um, even though the the setting really is about robbing banks, and and it's not it, this is not a uh, it's, it's not a puzzler of a, a film. It's not you know it's not a uh, how did they do that kind of bank robbery. It's a you know they're they're blunt instruments. Yeah, and um, you know so it's all it's much more about the race. And uh, and then it's a romance, and and that's the part that I actually like more than even the the robbery bits. I I particularly uh, like the the relationship between uh, Claire and uh, Doug uh, well, in this film. I think that's really great. Absolutely, and that's the, definitely one of the strengths for me in the film, and and clearly the problem for some other people who may have just been expecting more of a straight-up heist film. I, I got that sense after looking at some of the reviews. But to me, it the the romance, I mean, you there's a lot of development with Affleck's character of uh, McRae and his, his issues, you get this kind of this story of this father and son and, you know, sons having to kind of live in the shadows of their fathers. Also, he's got this issue... His mother had had left when he was a kid and all this sort of stuff. And you see this guy who's in this life and you can tell even just from like the, the text that opens the film, you got a couple quotes about the town, Charlestown mm-hmm. in, in, in Boston and how people like this is really like a way of life. And these these bank robbers, it's not like they're robbing banks so that they can retire and go live in the Bahamas 
and just, you know, smoke cigars for the rest of their lives. These are people who rob banks so they can go out and have some fun and go to strip clubs and gamble and then go rob banks when they need some more money. I mean, it really is kind of like that. It's almost like just a lifestyle. And it's not until he meets Claire and he kind of has this connection with her, albeit through this roundabout way because he's he's spying on her, trying to see if she has any uh, info on them because she's the one who, when they robbed their first bank, she's the one that they ended up kidnapping with their right. disguises she was, on. Uh, the bank manager in that first right. bank. And uh, so he go. That's why he's doing it. But then it's he starts developing this connection, and he realizes that there's more there. And it's interesting to be the way that it's almost like a cathartic relationship where he starts almost reevaluating some of the things in his life, the the issues he has with his mother, the the really um, awful relationship that he's stuck in with Krista, uh, played by Blake Lively, and how he really can't can't get out of that relationship. And even with his friend Jem, played by Jeremy Renner brilliantly, mm-hmm. and how he he's stuck in that relationship too. He's it's it's a life where you're just stuck, and it's not until he meets Claire that he realizes he kind of needs to get out of this life, and he he makes the decision to kind of do that uh, because of her. But then what I find really interesting is that, and you know, jumping all the way to the end of the film, so I guess we're going to start spoiling the film already. Well, in the end of, of which version? We're talking about the re-release, right? The director's cut? Uh, it's it, it's not the one with the alternate ending. Mm. It's, the, it's, the, it's the extended cut before he added the alternate ending. I found right. out there's three cuts. There's not three, two. right, right. Yeah. Um, but the, the second one where he, um, and actually it's, it's the same ending in both the the original cut and then and the, the extended, extended cut, cut where she's really the one who ends up changing because of their relationship. You almost expect him to kind of make the change, but he's kind of made his change earlier on in the film. But at the end of the film, she's the one who ends up making the change going from, uh, you know, is, is she going to turn him in and everything to all of a sudden she's becoming an accomplice and she's right. helping him get away because there's this connection she has with him and that becomes more important to her. And I found that a really interesting twist at the end of the film that I really enjoyed, even though you know that you know he still has a lot of, uh, of issues that he's going to have to work through. They probably aren't ever going to see each other. But the way that that relationship develops, I felt like a really critical piece of this film, and I really enjoyed it. I did too, and so much of the credit for that goes to Rebecca Hall, who who uh, plays uh, Claire in this film, and she's I, I think one of the things that she does so well in this film is is play that uh, that PTSD role. You know the the fact that she is you know she's generally kind of terrified about you know going back to work and about you know these guys and about working with the FBI, and so he uh, you know uh, Affleck's character uh, Doug gets to watch her and help her through that process mm-hmm. um, before the truth comes out you know uh and so he uh, sort of coaches her based on you know his awareness of the criminal you know element um in uh charleston at charlestown and by the time you know she's kind of comes to terms with the truth we realize that i i don't know i mean it's it's this you know stockholm syndrome is sort of set in in their relationship and she is turned about and realized you know she doesn't actually want to help um you know john ham's fbi uh, she would. She's. She realizes that she is, in fact, you know, in love with uh, with um, with Doug. Yeah. 
And I, I, I do, I, I agree with you. There's like this, this fascinating sort of wave of their relationship, you know, as it builds and then crests and then crashes when the truth comes out and then builds again uh, as they come to terms with this new reality, you know, this new, um, you know, their their lives were affected by this element and now they we get to watch them sort of uh, move forward in a new direction. And, yeah. I, and so that's what I mean by this idea that there is, there's no shortage of formula. You know, I didn't feel like um, anywhere in this film uh, we had any uh, sort of really pushing any particular dramatic boundaries you know in terms yeah, of the right. way it was structured it was you, you know you know going in what you're going to get and uh, you know everybody's going to walk out uh, you know fairly dissatisfied you know some people are going to end up dead people are going to walk away from each other it's not going to be a necessarily a happy ending you know what you're going to get when you when you see this film right uh, there, were, there were no surprises and yet uh, I think it executed uh really very well uh, even within the confines of of a you know otherwise predictable structure yeah i i think it does I, I think it really does boil down to the characters all the way through it from from doug and jem uh, played by jeremy renner and their other two accomplices um and i can't find their names right now but from the four of them to John Hamm at, in the FBI, who right. I find such an interesting character because, and coming you know from a guy who's really he kind of burst into the spotlight I think because of Mad Men, I find him so different from his Don Draper character in this film. There's this, uh, it's almost just like this this hatefulness about everything in this FBI character that I find interesting. It's just like, he's he's clearly wanting to do the right thing. I mean, he is in the FBI, obviously, but there's something about the way that he just views people almost just as tools to get the job done. He's not, he's not, he, he's fine kind of crushing people in the process of getting to the truth. There's something about him I find really interesting in this film. He is another one of those guys, you know, uh, on the list. Like, he is really magnetic. Yeah. Uh, you know what I'm saying? He is just uh, someone, someone that I am, I, I am fascinated by the way he moves on screen. Um, and, uh, I, you know, he's just very compelling, uh, a very compelling actor. And I think really, really good for this role as, uh, like, I, you know, I, I didn't necessarily get the idea that there was, uh, sort of a hatefulness, but, um, that his, um, he, he's just very pragmatic with his emotions, right? I mean, he's, he, you know, I, he really resents the crime that is in this part of town and, uh, I, yeah, there is that sequence. I know you're you're thinking of that sequence where he's he's, you know, where he looks at at Doug and says, you know, I just want you to know that that I'm the guy who's going to be telling you to f off, mm -hmm. uh, which which is a I, I think a fantastic scene, um, which plays great with the end. Yeah, it, it does. It plays so yeah. <laughs> it plays so well with the end. But I I, I think that his uh, I have trouble feeling like is he I mean. That could have been anybody sitting in that seat with that where that Doug McRae was in. It could have been anybody. Well, and I, I think more specifically, what I was thinking of is is Krista when he goes to talk to her in the hospital after yeah. she clearly what is uh, knows what's going on with the crime, helped them set up this big last robbery that they're going to commit. Um, gets in this 
car crash calls you know has them call him to come help her and then he comes in and is you know she's kind of dancing around stuff but it's he just clearly just wants to get answers out of her he doesn't care what's going to happen with her he probably doesn't care at all if she ends up seeing her kid again at all at all and she she breaks down right there and just says why is it i'm always the one who's getting used i i think i i mean i haven't seen blake lively in a whole lot of stuff yeah. but um, I really enjoy her in this. I think she works really well with this character. And that is such a painful moment that you know, makes you realize that, you know, she's one of these people who just can't catch a break. She's always with somebody who's always using her. And even the FBI guy who should be, you know, trying to help her get out of this situation, he just wants to use her to get the information. Screw it whether she gets to see her daughter again or not. And, uh, you know, that's, I guess, what I was talking about with him is, is you know, I find him a really fascinating character because of the way that he just kind of works everything that he needs to in order to get to the truth. I mean, he's a cop. Yeah, he's supposed it, to do that sort of thing. But. You know, to your point, I thought actually the more powerful scene between Lively and, and Ham and that was in the bar. And and I, I love that sequence so much because, you know, the whole setup is he goes in and, and is— she does not know him. She does not know that he's um, he's law enforcement, and they have an an exchange. Uh, you know, she thinks he's making a pass at her. He's playing her up, and when you and and so we get her on the cusp of making a bad decision, right? Mm -hmm. On the cusp of showing us that she's incapable of speaking to an adult male without some sort of innuendo or something, uh, you know, a bad decision resulting, and we get him turning on her in the middle of it yeah. which i think is a brilliant uh, a brilliant little sequence in there when he turns around and opens up his you know under the bar and opens up his shield and says you know because if i start showing this around here very bad for you mm -hmm. uh that I, I, is just a haunting m moment you know yeah. but, but it, what's it, so great about his character though is even though he ends up being you know playing the role of sort of the nemesis you know right i mean he's the big yeah. bad law enforcement chasing the guys that we're supposed to love uh you don't get he's it maybe it's because of his natural sort of screen charisma that that you don't actually hate him you realize that there is these are two guys who are just going about their their thing there's neither of these guys is set up as a bad guy yeah which I, I well, think is so great about this movie. I mean, and, uh, you know, he he obviously is like the antagonist in the story if we're following Doug as the protagonist of right. the story, because we are. But at the same time, you're right. It's not an antagonist we hate. We come to really like him. And I love his last moment with Claire. I find the exposition so simple mm -hmm. and clean when he catches on to the fact that she basically... Uh, uh, became an accomplice and threw that little clue into the phone call and he has that moment of realization and he just says you know we're a national organization claire and walks off and i was like that was so genius i loved it, it just brilliant screenwriting there yeah yeah oh absolutely uh absolutely agree his you know his uh the the way he turns to the window and tells the guy to to pack it up yep uh, yeah, it's like he just uh, we got to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're done. So yeah. so fantastic. That was great. Um, so uh, let's see. Moving on to uh, to other elements of the film. What else stands out to you? You know, um, well, 
before we move off talent, I just want to run, rattle off just a few other names because I think everybody did so good in this. Chris Cooper is in it in a very minor role, but is great as as Doug's father and creates this really interesting relationship between the two of them that echoes throughout the film in this whole thing of you know, repeating the past and and Doug trying to break free of that. I think Chris Cooper, I mean, honestly, the man can do no wrong. I love him and everything that he does. And yeah. uh, and Pete Postlethwaite, who is in this, and I think this was, if not his last film, one of his very last films. I, I guess he did one more called Killing Bono right after this. And then he passed away in uh, 2011, um, January. And right. he's he's one of those actors who... I mean, I think he got creepier and creepier as he got older because he just got skinnier and skinnier <laughs> to the point where he was just, he was frightening to look at. You know, he was so was creepy as this kind of like this, I don't know what you'd call him, like a money money launderer, crime lord sort of guy in ta- in this movie. Fergie. Florist. Yeah. Fergie the, the, the florist. Yeah. Florist. Like they yeah. they couldn't hang, you know, they, they, they hung a little bit of a flag on that uh, contrast, I think, in this one. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, he was great. Uh, and then just all of the other people in this, Titus Welliver as Dino, uh, Owen Burke and Slane as the other two uh, uh, bank robbers with uh, Ben and Jeremy. Uh, and then just, you know, this is a, an interesting film that had a lot of great faces in it. And a lot of those faces come from Ben Affleck's affinity with Boston and when he was making this film really worked to cast uh, just a lot of locals, a lot of local cops, a lot of local criminals, just a lot of people from the environments that he was in that he used to fill scenes. I mean, a great scene in the film is when Doug goes to an AA meeting in this food bank. He cast like basically everybody who really was at that AA meeting as the people in the AA meeting. It is a, a just a group of amazing faces. You can see the pain on their faces. It's not an AA meeting full of people who look like actors pretending to be, you know, down on their luck. This is a, a group of people who really look like they're, you know, working to get their life together. Right. And I think that was a very smart choice on his part to really focus on casting the real faces of the real, you know, Charlestown and the Boston area. I think it really lent to the credibility of the film. Yeah, I, I yeah, I totally agree. Uh, you know, and the fact that you know his other hoods, uh, even you know Jeremy Renner, who's not a a Boston uh, yeah. a Boston guy, you know, ends up uh, you know having such a talent at fitting in mm-hmm. as a as a Charlestown thug. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I think his his role in particular was one that was so uh, such a soft spoken uh, love for you know his his brother Doug, uh, and and you can see that the sequence by the fence. You know, when he when Doug comes and says, you know, I'm leaving, and uh, uh, Jem says, I you know I can't let you walk away. You know, and they have their their. Uh, exchange there, you can see that sense of betrayal, and I think he plays that so well, and so just sort of, um, he's just seething with yeah. that sense of emotional betrayal, and and it it plays so well. It really does, and and you can see, it's that uh, relationship that, and all of those types of relationships that really keep people from probably breaking out of their the cycles of that they're stuck in in life, right. and and Doug is working so hard to get out of that, and. 
And really, it's probably only because of what ends up happening later in the film with Jem that, you know, he really is able to break free and get out of there. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, who else do you want to talk about? You know, I... I mean that was the cast. It's just a it's a great cast from top to bottom all the way through. I I think that uh, Affleck did a great job of of casting it. Um, the cinematography, Robert Elswit uh, was the DP on this film, and I think he's a fantastic cinematographer. I love the stuff that he does. This film, you know, it's it's really kind of came out in the time when it is really and was really trendy to make kind of that high contrast gritty film. I don't feel it. Uh, I, I don't find it, um, you know, like it's, it's aping any other films. I, I think it works really well for the context of this film. And I, I really enjoy it in it. Um, well, yeah. You know, it's interesting. He's <laughs> talk about a dude on a streak. Yeah. Um, I he's done some of my very uh, very favorite movies, and right in this this sort of two thousand eight, two thousand nine, two thousand ten, um, you know, I guess two thousand seven, uh, he did Michael Clayton and There Will Be Blood back to back. He did Red Belt and the Burning Plane in two thousand eight. He did Duplicity and the Men Who Stare at Goats in two thousand nine. The Town and Salt in two thousand ten. And Mission Impossible, Ghost Protocol in 11, Born Legacy in 12, and Inherent Vice coming in 2014 from Paul Thomas Anderson. That is a string of absolutely top-notch films. And I think the only that, you know, I see a, a, I don't even know that I would say, I would agree with you, he's not aping other films, but he has a signature that has developed. I think from, you know, probably the early 2000s, uh, you sort of see that good night, good luck kind of Syriana um, uh, camera treatment through uh, that, that touches the town and salt in 2010. You kind of see that that signature on those films, but but each has such a unique kind of visual voice uh, yeah. that I just love. Yeah, and I think you could almost even go farther back with him. Probably, Heist. Uh, to me, it seems back to like the mid '90s when he started working with Paul Thomas Anderson in like yeah. Hard Eight. Yeah, I mean, he's really—that's a great that, example. Yeah, he's had that really going all the way through, and and clearly, there's a wide variety of stuff that he's done, yeah. especially when you look at the variety of uh, Paul Thomas Anderson films alone. I mean, he has an amazing run with with great looking films from then on and, and you know i mean there's they're all scattered through his career but that's well and that's, what that's for that, me that's why i go because the 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 90s you know there were <laughs> there was there were some in there that i just don't have a i don't no, have a whole no, lot of patience yeah. for but until you hit you know punch drunk love heist really 2001 punch drunk love 2002 then then it's like a series of of hits for me with the exception Gilly. of 2003 yeah, uh, one <laughs> after another after another. Yeah, I knew you were going to say Geely. I know I had to bring it up, but that's probably yeah. where he met Ben. That's a a major affectation. Yeah, developed. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, uh, great great work from Robert Elswit uh, cinematography. Absolutely, absolutely. So you know he did a great job. I think Dylan Tichenor did a great job with the editing of the film. Uh, and I've o I've only seen the original cut and the extended cut. I didn't see the 
third extend or the you know whatever it was the next extended cut with an alternate darker ending. Yeah, have, what was it? Did you find out what the darker ending was? I didn't see I, this either. I didn't. I was I was reading a review about it because I I guess it only played um, theatrically in 2012 in uh, Boston, and it was just this exclusive there in Boston with you know some of the cast there and everything and. And they screened it there. They closed the road and just, I mean, all sorts of crazy stuff. Um, but then well, it, so it came out on uh, This on is Blu-ray, discs. right? The collector's edition Blu-ray, the Take-Two ultimate collector's edition. Right, yeah. And I don't it, have that. I, I don't either. All I could find was that it looks like the, uh, it just says the alternate ending isn't the game changer you might expect. While there are definitely interesting aspects to the manner in which it plays out, it's more ordinary, more expected, and more traditional than the ending that made its way to the theaters. Even by Affleck's own admission, it takes the story and makes a hard left turn into the ground and does things to the story that I didn't like. So it's interesting that he chose to, you know, put this out there with the alternate ending when it sounds like it probably wasn't uh, a great. Uh, option to go with and it sounds like one that he didn't want to go with in the first place to me it came out at a time you know it just felt like double dipping to me one more reason to to put it out there to make more money off of it well now wait now i'm confused so you're saying that he didn't like the take two as much as the theatrical ending that's what it sounds like it sounds like he didn't like that uh that change uh mm. and he didn't like the alternate ending but he wanted to release it out there for people to see hmm Okay. Um. I. Yeah, all right. Well, I. You know, I didn't none? see it. I. I actually quite like. So the end of the movie, the way the movie ends theatrically and in the extended edition is is. Uh, you know, he he leaves a note on the cop's car. It says, you know, you go f yourself. Uh, she goes back to gardening and finds that he had left a big bag of money buried under the zucchini, <laughs> and he has he ends up on a dock somewhere. Uh, really reminiscent of the prince of tides <laughs> sadly that's that's probably the only thing in the film that i had for sort of forehead smackingly uh, uh silly to me is the well, the combination of the music and the uh to me it was like i felt like he could have given it a bit of a more melancholy and yeah <laughs> i mean him him on the be or like on the on the coast on the dock in the sunset it seemed like way too positive and it felt yeah. like yeah, okay, he did make it out. He's free. Um he but he's alone. He's on this, you know, p possible quest to find his mother that he's never going to find. Just all this sort of stuff and I'm just like I mean, it should have been I would have bought it more if he was on a dock and it was like the sun had already set and everything was just kind of blue, maybe a little a little misty kind of You know, I was going to make that same that same point. The entire film builds its sort of um you know, it's visual style on blues and very, very cold tones. And then the last sequence, we get this um, this hard right to very warm tones in this one, you know, clip. And I find it really jarring, yeah. jarringly warm and loving. And that's not at all earned. I needed him on another dock. You know what I mean? I needed him on another dock, you know, throwing a fishing net or just working something, doing something yeah. hard. Right. Working the the fishing boats off of Alaska with Superman. Exactly. <laughs> That's where I needed him. <laughs> That's right. All right. <laughs> but um, 
other than that, I do enjoy the film. You know what is interesting about, I, I found it interesting that none of these cuts are actually called director's cuts. I, I mean, of these extended cuts. Yeah, they're just additions. They're, yeah, extended cuts. Extended cut with an alternate ending. I watched the extended cut again, and I was like, what it felt like to me. There's There's some edits in there that I liked and some that I didn't like. The thing that I felt was the biggest stumbling block for me is that made it feel like basically they went back and just threw in deleted scenes to stretch it out to call it an extended cut for the for the uh, Blu-ray release is in the in the extended cut. He has when he f- goes on his first date with Claire, um, which is completely non-existent in the original cut. They go on this first date. They you know hop on this boat and everything. And he talks. She asks him about his folks and he talks about how his mom is gone and his dad is off out of town living in the suburbs now. And they have this whole conversation. And then we go on to their, their date where they're at the gardening thing. And she asks him about his parents and he goes like, Oh, my mom is gone, but my dad, you know, he's just living off in the suburbs. And he, he goes on to talk about more about the conversation and everything. But I'm just like, we're having the conversation twice now yeah. in this extended cut because they weren't careful with that and it makes no sense. Yeah, exactly. No, I, 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 I absolutely. And that's the only part where I, though, that I felt like I noticed. I, yeah, I yeah. you know, I haven't seen the theatrical uh, release in a long time. Well, I mean, it's only three years old, but uh, I saw that one in the theater and then, you know, this is the, you know, I watched the extended edition. I couldn't, I couldn't remember what was new. In the they have a, edition. they have a really handy feature on on the Blu-ray when you're watching it where a little thing will pop up in the corner every time there's something new, so it, it's a little distracting. But I was able to tell everything that they changed. So no, oh, well, I I didn't watch it that way. Yeah, it's a I don't I don't Blu-ray <laughs> thing. I know very fancy of you to be to be but, talking about your but technology. it was interesting. To, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. You were just saying. No, it was just it was interesting to see how many changes they made and how some of them were, I mean, really small, just extending a couple lines in a scene, something like that. So I mean there definitely were some changes that I felt did help the film out, some changes that I felt slowed the film down, and some that were just completely unnecessary. It's, was there was there anything new in the sequence where he gets Jem and they go beat the snot out of those guys who were throwing yes. bottles? Yes, that that, that was, was another one where that felt actually really well deserved extension. Yeah, the, Jem shoots the guy a couple extra times in the extended one. Oh well, that's not what I expected you to say. I thought oh. there was more more talky. It, I don't recall there being a whole lot more talky. It was mostly just a couple extra um, gunshots. All right. Yeah. But right. Uh, but regardless. Uh, um, Dylan Titchener, who did edit this film, I thought did a great job um, with what he had. E- even just for the regular cut, I thought he did a fantastic job. Um, also somebody who's worked with Paul Thomas Anderson a number of times and somebody who I think uh, really can cut a film together really well. He did Zero Dark Thirty um, you know, a few months ago, and I think he's uh, an editor who can find the right story and tell it the right way. So we're following all the pieces we need to be following. And I think, I think he just, he gets it out there and very understandable, but very effective and enjoyable. When, uh, when you're looking at writing credits, Mm. you notice this on the writing credits, 
in this movie. We have Aaron Stockard and uh, Peter Craig and Ben Affleck. Right. You, as a, an official uh, screenwriter of <laughs> great renown and talent, mm. um, if we, uh, if, when you look at this and they say Peter Craig screenplay, and then the word and, and then Ben Affleck ampersand Aaron Stockard. Right. That means, just, and I'm asking you this in the form of a statement, that means that Ben Affleck and Aaron Stockard worked on it and then Peter Craig worked on it? Is it like I'm look, trying to figure out where my parentheses go in this uh, in this equation? Yeah, I mean, I don't know the order. I don't know if Peter Craig did it first. Um, and then yes. Ben Affleck and Aaron, Aaron Stockard. Yeah, but Ben and Aaron, because there's an, the ampersand between their name. That means they, they're together. They collaboratively wrote on okay. the script. And then the A-N-D and Peter Craig and that means Peter Craig wrote by himself. Now, whether it was before or after, I don't know. But that's kind of the that's kind of how it broke down. Okay. Um, and you know, for all I know, because of the way that the Writers Guild defines credits, for all I know, twenty other people could have been working on this script. I mean, right, we just right. have no way of knowing every script unless it's just uh, one person who wrote it, and uh, like all the way through. If there's multiple people writing on it, the WGA goes through an arbitration process where they uh, they have a bunch of readers read basically every version of the script, and then they report uh, it could do an evaluation of what percent each person contributed to the script, and then they take those um, notes. And these readers are actual like WGA members, actual other screenwriters in the system. And they'll read all these scripts and they'll do this, you know, judgment of what they think and they turn it in and, and then the WGA arbitration committee looks at it and they evaluate and they determine the uh, the official credits for the film. It's quite a process. That sounds crazy fun. <laughs> it's like no no wonder Hollywood is turning out such crappy scripts because they're all reading like 20 iterations right. of the same script trying to figure out who wrote what. How ridiculous. Yeah, it's a heck of a process. Uh well, you know that Peter Craig is uh on deck for Top Gun 2 and Bad Boys 3. So there's that. There is that. But he hasn't done a whole lot. No. No, this was his first uh, first screenplay. So I'm curious what his story is. Yeah, who knows? Uh, and Aaron Stoggard, besides the working on the town, he did uh, Gone Baby Gone. Yeah. Uh, so also there's that. But he met. He, he must have met Ben Affleck and and Matt Damon back in the Goodwill Hunting days when he was a right. PA on Goodwill Hunting, and then he was uh, Matt Damon's assistant on The Talented Mr. Ripley. So he seems like somebody who's kind of, kind of ended up in their circles, yeah, and, yeah. and Ben Affleck must have found something in him that uh, convinced him that this this Aaron Stockard is a, is a great writer, and I want to bring him on board to collaboratively write right. The Town with me. I think that was probably it, that he's a good writer. Yeah. They found that. Yeah. Well, it was a good find. I uh, look forward to see what else he comes up with. And uh, I think on that note, we should talk numbers. The um, We can definitely do that. Before we do, I have... Did you have, have to log into something? No, but I have, I have one more thing. Of course, that's good. I have one more thing that I have to mention. If you watch this film and you go... Because, you know, Ben Affleck's character of Doug McRae had been 
you know, taken like oh, I can't. He was drafted as a hockey star, right? And I can't remember what what he said had happened, why he didn't end up becoming a great hockey star, or whatever it was. But uh, he obviously isn't. By the time we're in this film, he is now a bank robber and works at the at the uh, rock uh, the rock place, riding nice. down his brontosaurus back on his way out of work. Right. That was a great but, bit. That I know it's a great bit. Uh, and a side note to that, I did find that there were a few lines throughout this film that felt very Goodwill Hunting-ish. That being one of them, and it just struck me as I was watching this film that I started noticing. Okay, now I can tell the the Ben Affleckisms, like what what parts of Goodwill Hunting were likely yes. more his rather than Matt Damon's, yes. because there's some of those that pop out in this, like when he's in the talking to Claire in the laundromat, and he says, "Oh, I always have a good cry at the nail salon." That was <laughs> like such a Goodwill Hunting moment. I'm like, okay, so this is Ben Affleck's writing as opposed to whatever Matt Damon was doing. I I thought that whole laundromat scene was was an Affleck scene. Like I got that feeling totally. the entire way through. Totally, totally. Yeah, yeah that's a good but, call. But if you watch this film and you you see when he's working out and and you go, damn, that Ben Affleck is ripped. He is you know, he's he has taken care of his body as a former hockey star. You can go to a bodybuilding website and you can look at the town's Ben Affleck's workout and you can get the training secrets that Ben used to get ripped for the town. Really? Yes, that's right. You should tell your trainer about this. Maybe you can get ripped. Well, I'm I'm going on vacation for a couple of weeks, and he sent my trainer Jamie. Mm-hmm. He sent me the the thing he wants me to do while I'm gone. It's not maybe, good. It's not maybe good. Maybe you should do this instead. Here it is: bodybuilding.com. Ben Affleck's the town workout. Absolutely. Oh, nice. Mass and torso combo training day. The mass oh. and torso squat and pull. Mass and torso press and hip extension. <laughs> Wow. You've got the whole thing. Yeah. How this was, do uh, they do? That's a long. See, this is my problem. This is why I'm never going to be Ben Affleck, ex hockey player, uh, bank robber, because I don't have time to work out like this. And this is like a serious, like, I'm going to take five hours out of my day and just go work out. What it, is the yeah. Spider Man open? Holy. Oh, that looks like it hurts. Yeah, there's some serious stuff in here. Man, what a great website, though. Yeah, so you know, we'll put this up on our site, and uh, you know, if you feel like you want to get ripped like Ben, check it out. Oh, Ben, well done! <laughs> wow, that's yeah. a great. I could get stuck in there. <laughs> well done. All right, all right. So now we got to talk about how to, how do we do in the box office? This did uh, really well for itself. It uh, uh, you know it was made for thirty seven million. An additional thirty million for Princeton advertising, so total budget of sixty-seven million, and domestically it grossed ninety-two million. Internationally, sixty-four point six million. So total gross was one hundred and fifty-six point eight million dollars, and profit per finished minute seven hundred twenty-nine thousand nine hundred seventy. That was for the one hundred twenty-three minute version of the film. Obviously, if you take the extended edition into <laughs> into account, <laughs> it doesn't work out quite so well. He should have made the uh, the shortened version if he wanted to make it look better. Yeah, right. But regardless, it did really well for itself. Just below The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, which is really interesting for a 166-minute movie, and just above The Sweeney, Sweeney Todd, The Demon Barber of Fleet Street. So, yeah. Interesting comrades. I This is, uh, I think, well-deserved uh, performance in the box office. I think it's a, it is a... Um, 
It's a good film. It's a solid film. It's formulaic uh, uh, throughout, but it executes very well on the formula. And, uh, you know, I think it's worth seeing. I, I wanted, frankly, I, I think out of this film and out of this series, uh, in terms of heist films, I'm finding that I'm more naturally attracted to more puzzles. Mm. Right. I want to I want to feel like I'm solving something along right. with the drama. And that's where I think if anything were to let me down, it's more of our choice uh, in, in, you know, in, in this film. Not that it doesn't belong here to be talked about, but in terms of the heist, I, I kept thinking, gosh, I, I wish I were working more with the film. I wish I were I wish I were more involved uh, rather than letting it just sort of wash over me. Yeah, you want you want a real more of a caper film where you're really kind of puzzling over the actual uh, what they do and right. how they get away with it, as opposed to you know just a straight up heist and the drama behind it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I love that. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love the heists. I I, I do like the heist too. But this is uh, I I I need a caper. I'm I'm in the mood for a caper. Yeah, I hear you. Uh, where do we go f- uh, next week? Well, next week we're gonna we're gonna do one that is a little more of a puzzle. So I think you'll like it. We'll be talking about uh, Spike Lee's Inside Man. Oh yeah, yeah. I do this. This one I I do like quite a bit. Yeah. This was the uh, Denzel. Yeah. And Clive. And Jody and Christopher. Clive uh, Clive Owen. When did you do you remember when you discovered Clive Owen? I discovered him uh, right toward the beginning with um, uh, the Cropier Cropier. Cropier, what was that? Yeah. I don't even that know what was, that is. That was the first movie I saw him in. It was one of his, uh, I think it was one of his first films. Cropier what? came out in, uh, da, 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 da. when did it come out? 98. It definitely wasn't one of his first films. He's been in films uh, since 1988. Yeah, you uh, you saw him before I did. I uh, the, I don't remember anything before 2001 uh, as the driver. Mm, yeah, uh, in the BMW series, um, fantastic. And after that, I feel like he was everywhere. Yeah, yeah, he really was. After that, <laughs> yeah, the Born Identity. We talked about him in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gosford Park. Uh, you know, I'll sleep when I'm dead. I mean, yeah, he's been pretty much. Yeah, and then just getting bigger and bigger. So very much looking forward to Inside Man next week. And one more reminder: if you are watching this, uh, and uh, you know, if you're watching this and it's current, make sure to turn in, uh, tune in. Saturday night, we're going to be talking about, um, I don't even remember already, World War Z. World War Z. Oh, I'm excited to talk about this movie. Can you tell? I know. <laughs> You're so excited. I'm don't so excited even, I can't just... remember what we're doing. Oh, and uh, so, yes, very much looking forward to talking about World War Z. Uh, a lot of mixed feelings about this movie. A lot of mixed mixed press, mixed bag. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Enough, enough, enough out of you. All right. I'm going to bed. Are we going to flick chart it? Oh, yeah, we should do that first. You do that, I'm going to go to bed. Okay, you go to bed. Right. <laughs> uh, are you ready, sleepyhead? Yeah. Yes, I'm can ready. You can do it in your sleep. The Town or Cloud Atlas? The Town. The Town or Saving Your Choice or Zero Dark Thirty? Zero Dark Thirty. That's a tricky I one. I feel like this is a game show. <laughs> You're just gonna tell me when I'm wrong. The town or the curious case of Benjamin Button. The town. It's a hard one. Uh-huh. Uh, that one caused, uh, caused me a little bit of pain. I, I, 
I really enjoy Benjamin Button, but I would watch The Town more. Super long. I know it's it's a long one. The Town or Drive? I drive. totally would go with Drive. Drive, yeah. yeah, Drive. The Town or the Asphalt Jungle? Another great heist film that we should put into our series. We should. We should add that to the series. Yeah. I'm gonna go with. Um, I do like me some Asphalt Jungle. I do That's, like that film. That is a, a great. I'm uh, gonna say Asphalt Jungle. I'm really torn on this one. I, man, all right. I I think I'll do Asphalt Jungle too. Pedigree, uh, baby, pedigree. I know. I know. The town or up in the air? I would do up in the up air. Up in the air. Absolutely. The town or taxi driver? The town. <laughs> oh, oh, man. No, I would actually no you know what? You're, just, but you're saying to yourself in the back of your head, I'm supposed to say taxi driver. <laughs> I'm going to be kicked out of the club if I don't That's say right. taxi driver. <laughs> All my film school friends won't like me anymore. <laughs> no, but... I would watch The Town over Taxi Driver. As yes. as much as I enjoy Taxi Driver, it is a really hard film to watch. <laughs> All right, 34. 34 uh, feels pretty good. 34 out of 94. Give me give me the before and after. Uh well, it's bef- it's right after Up in the Air and it's right before Taxi Driver. That's so. right. No, that's, that's predictable. I should have I should have predicted that. Yes, you should have. <laughs> Yes, you should have. You can find that list at flickchart.com slash the next reel, and uh, it's growing toward ever closer to our top 100, the golden 100, as I like to call it. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be there soon, right? How many do we have left? Like four more, five more total? Well, that was number 94, so that would mean six more. Six more. <laughs> oh, it's killing me. Yeah. Actually, seven. We need 101 yeah. in order to have a top 100. Yeah, that's true. Uh, kind of. You can still have a top 100 with 100. And as long as Rush is on the list, we cannot have a top 100. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, top, Lily. <laughs> top 93. Uh, okay, now can I go to bed? Now you can go to bed. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms. But in August 2022... We switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM, and it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content, and we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash transistor. Start growing your podcast today. <laughs>